This is a story about dangerous obedience. When you think of dangerous obedience and the courage required uh, from stories of the Bible, you might remember Daniel facing the lions, or maybe his three teammates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down to an idol in spite of a very hot furnace awaiting them. Or maybe you think of the steps of a beaten and flogged man on his way to a Roman cross voluntarily. Good examples of a dangerous obedience. But over the next few minutes, we get to spend time with a friend of mine. He, he doesn't know me yet, but we're going to get a chance to talk in heaven. His name is Ananias, and he's from the city of Damascus. Let me pray. Father, you are a God of rescue. You're a God of courage. We thank you for Ananias. Thank you for including him in this little postcard in the book of Acts. Thank you for his uh, wisdom and his courage and for the chance to learn about you through this story. We're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the story opens in the book of Acts chapter 9, Saul is a, a powerful Jewish persecutor of the fledgling Christian church. He's on his way to Damascus, a, a city of a, about 150 miles from Jerusalem. And folks there, they, they knew of Saul and, quote, his murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, end quote. He's headed there to capture any of the followers of Christ and, and to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem verses 1 and 2. Now let's be clear. Saul is an evil man, attacking the Lord's faithful. His reputation brings fear to all believers in Damascus. And then he meets the person of Christ on that road to the city and is dramatically converted. For Saul, this confrontation with Jesus must have been extraordinarily troubling right off the bat. He's, he's a powerful man. He's used to being in control. But as he's helped to his feet and he's led into the city, think, think what he has left behind on that dusty road. His identity, his job, his religious and social status, his reputation, his, his passion to destroy the church, his definition of success, and, oh, by the way, his eyesight. Saul is now blind. For the next three very long days, it's all dark with no evidence that things are going to change. And through this process, God turns him into spiritual putty. Now watch. Watch how God, who has made him blind, gives him back his sight in a way that impacts two men and the entire church of Damascus. The manager of the universe could easily fix Saul's eyes all by himself, but he chooses to use a man. Enter Ananias. Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. That's it. That's all we hear about him. He lives in, his, he lives in Damascus, and he's a disciple. I wish we could learn more about his background, his, his testimony, his, his training, his faith. 
Well, lots of time to chat with him in heaven, as I mentioned. But it's a brief, brief resume in the scriptures. And they are inspired by God. All of scripture is. So maybe Ananias' background isn't important because maybe the story's not about him. And after this record in Acts, there's only one other mention of our Ananias. I reference this because we learn a bit more about the man in Acts 22, verse 12. This is Paul's testimony years later to a violent Jewish crowd in the temple of Jerusalem. And he recalls, quote, A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. It's interesting that, that Paul, before this Jewish mob, emphasizes Ananias' reputation among the Jewish community in Damascus. Ananias, as a believer, as a completed Jew, maintains his Jewish cultural moorings and reputation even as he learned to follow the carpenter from Nazareth. Well, back to chapter 9, verse 10. The Lord taps on the shoulder of his disciple Ananias. God, quote, called to him in a vision, unquote. Do you know that today mission leaders are getting more and more reports of hundreds, hundreds of people in closed countries coming to salvation as they respond to visions? Visions continue to be a tool in the hands of God. So a previously unknown but believing resident of Damascus has a vision. God selects this man to work through instead of taking care of Saul himself. Ananias, yes, Lord, I like that. God, what did you do so that he knew it was you? Was it, was it the sound of your voice? Was it, was it what he saw? Oh, regardless, you've got Ananias' attention. And without any words of introduction, you direct him right from the start. Go. All right. Marching orders. Number one, go to the house of Judas. Oh, really? That name's a bit awkward. But let's go to number two, on Straight Street, which really, according to a map of, of the, that day, is actually Main Street in Damascus. And number three, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Well, notice there's, there's no reveal of Saul's confrontation with Christ on the road. God only mentions his, his hometown, Tarsus, and that Saul is praying. Why say that? What did that do for Ananias? I'm not sure, but, but God also mentions in verse 12 that Saul has had a vision that prepares him for this visit by Ananias. God says to Saul, a man named Ananias will come and place his hands on you and you will get your sight back. Well, there's a, there's a lot of ways that Ananias can go with this this, this announcement. God has told him who and where and what he's to do. 
in a vision, and that Saul, from his own vision, is expecting him by name. Are you feeling a tad squeezed, Ananias? Well, he's honest with God, and I appreciate this so much in verse 13. Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, like me. Or said a little differently, um, Lord, are, are you sure? Do you know who this guy is and, and what he's been up to in Jerusalem and, and his goals for this trip? Basically, God replies, yep, that's him. Now go. Now you and I, I think we understand the hesitation. Ananias is finding this command from, from God a tough one, logically. And I suspect he's, he's nervous at the least and afraid at the most. He's being asked to move toward a person of power who is committed to destroying him and those like him. In the words of the author Tom Clancy, Saul is a, a clear and present danger. It's as if his Lord is saying, Ananias, run toward the fear with me. In Acts 9, 15 and 16, God patiently responds, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. God does not get into a debate. Go. But he does let Ananias in on the astounding plans and purposes for Saul. Chosen instrument, it says. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. The word in the Greek is eklogomei. It means selected out for a particular purpose. Isn't that good? And also, as you look more, a close reference can be made from, from Ephesians 2.10, which speaks of good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. But what about the part that says how much he must suffer for my sake? Do you understand that Saul's future good works designed by a sovereign God include beatings, stonings, whippings, shipwrecks and imprisonment, even as Saul Paul lives out a mission that's directed and resourced by God that brings him great suffering and joy? Now, here's a troubling thought about God's plan for you and me, believer. What if the, the good works that God has prepared are not just your occasional Boy Scout good deeds, but might include things like running toward the fear with God? Do you allow the in-control Lord to lead you into discomfort and struggle and pain? Or do you demand that your comfort must be God's first priority for you? Well, this is getting a, a bit too convicting. Let, let's get back to Ananias. 
So God strengthens Ananias, and in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Oh, there's so much more I want to learn. Ananias, did, did you recruit some folks to pray for you? And, and if so, how many of those people uh, tried to talk you out of going anywhere near Straight Street? I, I wonder how long it took you to get to that house. <laughs> did you circle the block a couple times? How long did you, did you stand in front of the door before you knocked? <gasps> knock, knock, knock. Yes. Um, is, is Saul here? Uh, that, that depends. And, and who are you? Um, uh, my name's Ananias. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Saul's not well. Uh, he, he's not seeing anybody today. Uh, yes, uh, he's blind. And, and I can help with that. No, I, I, I'm sorry. Come back in. Uh, a gravelly voice from further inside the house. Did, did that guy say his name is Ananias? Yes, sir. Let him in. He's going to heal my eyes so I can be an apostle to the Gentiles. Let him in, quick. Uh, I wonder what, what really happened in that house on Straight Street. Chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what is recorded by Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, who heard it from Paul himself. In that room, was there any chit-chat or extended introductions? God, were you calming Ananias' heart rate as he, as he lived out obedience? Saul would have been humbled and teachable after three days of darkness and conviction. So, faithful to his word, God actually works it out that Ananias puts his hands on this dangerous man. Ananias, where did you touch him? His head? His shoulders? Over his eyes? And then the marvelous purpose, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And with Ananias' hands on him and Ananias' words over him, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Verses 18 and 19. Okay, what happened next in that home on Straight Street? Loud rejoicing, worship, com comparing visions, more worship. Did they, did they talk and pray till late into the night? In Acts 9, Ananias has done what God has asked him to do. God gave him the job and the words. God gave him the courage and the experience. And Ananias will never, ever forget this day. Neither will the Apostle Paul. And in verse 20, the scripture tells us that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And he at once began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
I wonder if he stayed at Ananias' home, or maybe on Straight Street. I suspect that Ananias would have been Saul's companion in Damascus, maybe even his champion. Did Ananias and some of the brothers accompany Paul when he reached and uh, when he preached at the synagogue? There may be so much more to enjoy about this relationship, but that's not the point. Now Ananias steps back into the shadows of daily obedience and the struggle against temptation and of grace out of the spotlight of Scripture, leaving us with just this biblical postcard in the book of Acts. But Ananias of Damascus is a man who lived out a dangerous obedience emboldened by God our Father. Let me pray. Father, I love this story. And in Romans 15, Paul talks about how it's the word that emboldens us. It brings us encouragement and courage. And we can see this and we can realize that you are the one who worked in these two men for a mighty result. And we'll hear even more from Ananias when we speak to him of what happened after that in that city among those believers. Thank you, God, for this story. Thank you. We're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.